Good morning. How are we all doing? We are in the last week of our series, How to Be Rich. Not how to get rich. God's not here to show you how to get rich, but how to be rich, how to experience life indeed. And we're going to talk about one way to do that specifically this week. That in fact, without it, I can assure you that how, how uh, temporally rich you are, life will not be what God intends for you to experience. Y'all ever been on a cruise? Anybody here been on a cruise? I have spared myself that, uh, that experience. I don't know. Maybe some of y'all really like it. I, I, I don't, you know, most folks go on a cruise, come back with a sunburn, some uh, semi-adventure and about five more pounds. I'm not looking to do that. So, uh, but as a guy came across this week in an article that was uh, actually last month in the New York Times, his name is uh, Mario Salcido. They call him Super Mario on the Royal Caribbean tru- Cruise Line. He's kind of an unofficial ambassador. Here's a picture of Mario right here in one of his cruises that he uh, likes to take. The, the article in the op-ed that the New York Times wrote was called The Happiest Guy in the World. So Mario's the happiest guy in the world, apparently. What they did is they, they followed Mario because Mario, for 21 years, was the um, head, the chief financial officer of an international business firm, and he said he traveled all the time, he was in suitcases all the time, and finally, uh, about two decades ago, he said, I'm done with that. So he packed a bigger suitcase, and he went on a cruise, which he's been on now for 20 0.7 years. That's right. So Mario is cruising the world continually. His life is a continual cruise. He actually takes one week off a year where he goes back and checks off and, uh, some things in his apartment in Miami, but the rest of the time he's out there. And Mario uh, is always telling about how great his life is. He said, everybody needs a goal in life. He said, everybody needs something to live for. And uh, I, I watched a little video on, Mar- on Mario's life, which I would encourage you to watch. I tweeted it out. Go to Words from Wags. Uh, and Twitter and, and, and watch this little 10-minute video, and you tell me if he's the happiest guy in the world. At one point in that little video, you know, he's, he's talking about how, uh, how happy he is and convincing people that uh, what he's doing. And they say, Mario, what are you doing right now? He said, are you going to book another cruise? He goes, no, no, I'm not going to book another cruise. And they go, why not? He goes, well, because I've already got them all booked through May of 2019. He said, the only thing I really have left to live for, he says, I guess waiting for another boat. This is this guy, I and mean, he's kind of living the dream, right? He's out there, he's on cruises, he's, um, he's having a big time, but the guy that went and studied him and spent time with him said this, I found that Mario lives a far different life from the one portrayed by himself as, a, as an unofficial public ambassador for the Royal Caribbean. The Mario we followed, this is in the New York Times, was not living the fantastical dream life of a cruising king, as I'd seen him describe himself. The Mario I found lives a life full of paradoxes. While he proclaims independence from others and the freedom to do whatever he wants, we see him constantly seeking to surround himself with throngs of anonymous tourists shaking their hands and selling his lifestyle. Here's a picture of Mario at one of his meals on the cruise. Happiest guy alive? You get to make your own choice. I'm gonna make a case today that the God that created you knows how to give you joy in life. And I'm gonna tell you that it's impossible to be truly rich and live your life alone. This is for a couple of reasons. Number one, you're made in the image of God. Because you're made in the image of God, God who is eternally dwelled in the context of community. Community isn't an idea God had. Community is what God always lives in. The Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit live together in community. Uh, Love and mutual submission and companionship and completion aren't the highest ideals of men. They've eternally existed in the very nature of who God is. And you're made in his image. And you are not made to live alone. When you live alone, 
When you don't bond with others, you're gonna find yourself trying to bond with anything. And when you bond to that which is not life-giving, it's not gonna lead to life, it's gonna lead to death. Ultimately, God is the one we need to bond with, and the reason we need to bond with God is because when we bond with God, he heals our ability to relate to one another. See, any relationship is only as healthy as the least healthy person in it. And when you're in relationship with somebody who hasn't had their own heart healed, it's going to not just be hard for you to be in relationship with them. Everything about that life is gonna sabotage that relationship at some level. It's why community that believers share with one another is one of the greatest testimonies about who God is because not that we don't make mistakes and make decisions sometimes that are hard-hearted and therefore make relationships hard, but because when we do, we come to our senses, we reconcile with one another, we seek forgiveness, we extend forgiveness, we live in the context of grace, constantly sharpening one another and spurring each other on to love and good deeds. And when you see a community, it's the highest ideal of men. The United Nations, the dream of the United Nations is that one day, this is Isaiah chapter two, it is written on, uh, inscribed in marble on the walls of the United Nations, that one day we'll get along, one day we'll beat our, our, our swords into plowshares and our spears into pruning hooks. All we'll have to do is experience the bountiful harvest of life together when we figure out how to make peace. Well, peace is never gonna be made until the whole world understands that the peace that humans need can only be found in a relationship with Jesus Christ. Community is what we were created to live in. It's part of being an image bearer. Community is what we are commanded to pursue. Community is what God provides for our good, to pry our fingers off of things that look life-giving, but won't be, that will sharpen us. And community is how God is glorified in our midst. When the world sees us get along in our different nationalities, our different life experiences, our different economies, and he sees us live at a concern for one another, modeling our king who did nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, considering others as more important than himself. The world goes, who are you people? How do your marriages work? How do your relationships work? I wanna know the source of that kind of human community, and the source is the God who created us. Let me just say this real quick. We know that the very first casualty of sin, when sin entered into the world, the very first casualty of sin was what? It was relationships. That was the first thing to go after community, Adam and Eve, after, after sin entered into the world where we left God and we were left just to ourselves, they didn't recognize each other as they had before. Oh, he still knew that was Eve, but he did not regard her or recognize her now as a helpmate. They saw each other as some kind of threat and they hid from one another. Solidarity and oneness were gone and they began accusing each other and, and became hostile towards one another and, the, and, and the, 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 instead of being... Um, different but equal instead of the relationship change from mutual submission and love with roles to ruler and subject or to abuser oppressor versus manipul manipulative challenger. And God says, I can restore that. And the whole message of the scripture is God trying to restore what has been lost as a result of sin. You see, when we don't bond with God, when we don't reconcile with God, we cannot bond with, reconcile with one another. And our lives, no matter how much we have, don't become very rich. You ever see the movie, the, the, um, All the Money in the World? 
There's a picture of a guy who had um, all the money in the world and yet lived an isolated, alone life. Uh, J. Paul Getty, here's a picture of uh, him from the movie, right? All his art, all his wealth, and his dog, man's best friend, no. Dogs are a fine sub substitute, if you will, and supplement to the life that God wants us to have, but they are not life indeed. You cannot be truly rich if you live your life alone. Um, there was a study that I came across uh, this week that reminded me of what happens when we live alone. In fact, um, in the 80s, there was an ad that was on TV, and we let you watch it, and would tell you the origin of this ad. It came from experiments they used to run with rats, where they would put a rat in a cage, and they would put two bottles of water, one that was laced with cocaine or heroin, and one that was just a regular bottle of water, and that rat living alone, well, this is what happened to him. Check it out. Only one drug is so addictive, nine out of 10 laboratory rats will use it, and use it, and use it, until dead. before PETA influenced our advertising strategies. <laughs> but that rat gave his life for you that you might not know. I mean, that you might know that giving yourself over to an addictive behavior that is not life-giving is not life indeed. Now, what's interesting about that particular uh, commercial, and again, they, they just showed the addictive qualities of these drugs that they form obviously strong chemical hooks that make you wanna go back to them. And, and the fact is, is if most of us were put on um, you know, those drugs for a long period of time, our body would have to go through some form of detox. But let me tell you an interesting fact. There's a guy named Bruce Alexander who was a professor of psychology in Vancouver. And he, he, he went back and looked at those experiments that they ran on those rats. And he said, but you know what's interesting is they always put the rats in the cage alone. And I wonder if there's not something else that's making them go back to this drug than just the drug itself. And so what he decided to do was create a perfect rat park. Put lots of colorful balls and little rat trails and other happy rats in the cage with them and put one bottle of water that was still laced with cocaine and another bottle of water over here that was just regular bottle of water. Now you can imagine that all the rats in this rat park still tried both bottles of water, but what they found out is that while all the rats um, tasted both bottles of water. It was the rats that were isolated and that did not commune with the other rats that kept going back and hitting the cocaine-laced bottle. And the other rats stayed away from that particular polluted bottle of water and just enjoyed the rat world. What he said is, what's happening here is that addiction is adaptation. It's, 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 it's your cage that you put yourself in when you don't like the cage that you're living in, when you isolate yourself from others. Let me just tell you this. Pornography that most guys are involved in, and girls as well, pornography is not your problem. Pornography is your medicine. It's what you're hitting in order to find some comfort or some escape or some moment that you get to where you where you live in a world that, that helps you not deal with the pain that's really in your world that keeps you from forming natural, healthy relationships. It's true of all addiction, really. What they found out is that um, so much of what's happening, it, it, it said there's actually um, 
an experiment that was run not on rats, but on humans. When you went to Vietnam, 20%, this has been well documented, 20% of our uh, soldiers that were in Vietnam became addicted to heroin while they were over there. But what they found out was pretty amazing. They said when these guys got back, 95% of those folks that were addicted to heroin, when they came back, that assimilated in to uh, a better rat cage, or if you will, a community of folks of sport and love them, they almost immediately stopped the heroin use. Others came back who weren't involved with heroin over there, and because they came back to a community that wasn't there to love and support them, they, at an increasingly and alarming rate, used the heroin. Think Lieutenant Dan, right? For you Forrest Gumpers out there, somebody reminded me of him. And what happened to Lieutenant Dan? He became strung out on opiates and heroin until community came back in his life, and then he got titanium legs and got married again. <laughs> but there's a picture there that his addiction was his cage because he wasn't experiencing what God said he should experience. The truth is, none of us are gonna experience anything without God. Our relationships will not work the way God wants them to work without him being the center of them. That's why he calls us back into relationship with him. And when we get back in relationship with him, he calls us into relationship with one another. Now look, you still have to spend time alone. Wise men seek solitude, it's a fact. Fools, though, seek isolation. The very first thing you need to do to be successful in human relationships is devote yourself to the one who you've been restored in relationship with through the kindness of Jesus Christ and the grace that God's offered you that way. And when you're called back into relationship with God by grace through faith and you devote yourself to learn of his ways and you ask him to sanctify you and you spend time in his word and in relationship with his spirit and then alongside other believers who will spur you on and encourage you and admonish you and help you, relationships begin to work in the way that God intended. Let me just give you seven reasons why people, I think, um, end up bonding to other things or seven reasons that, that, are, that exist that keep people from biblical community or why people aren't in it. Number one, because they're willingly or un, unwittingly ignorant of scriptures. They, they don't know that God's called us to this means of grace that is community. I'm gonna tell you guys that there is nothing in my life um, that God has given me, apart from his word, that has been as meaningful in, in the grace that I've received from God as other believers that are filled with the Spirit. See, what's this? This is the word of God that was God-breathed. The Spirit of God gave us his word. What is the church? And I'm talking by the church, I mean, what are people that have been reconciled by, by the story of grace back into God and back into a relationship with God. What are they? They are, they are temples of the Holy Spirit. They're a place that now the Spirit of God dwells and should be sovereignly reigning in. And when those people are controlled by the Spirit and walk in the Spirit, God can use them in my life. Community is never sovereign over me, but it is a means through which I can be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. God uses his spirit in other people to help me see things I couldn't otherwise see and do things I wouldn't otherwise do so that I might experience what he wants me to experience. This book of the law should not depart from your mouth, the scripture says, so that you might be careful to do according to all that is written in it, for then you will make your way prosperous and then you will find success. You should not forsake your own assembling together as is the habit of some. 
but you should encourage each other, and that all the more. As the day of judgment draws near, you should encourage each other. Don't forsake the encouragement day by day, the scripture says, that God wants you to have. Why? So that you might not be deceived by sin, so that you might experience life indeed. There are people that maybe are willingly ignorant of what, uh, uh, unwittingly ignorant of what scripture says, but so many of us have heard the admonition of scripture that tells us that God's provision for us is to get together. The reason we gather and the reason we sing is we're reminding each other of the greatness of our God, what he's done for us, his love for us, his care for us, and so we want to push ourselves towards him. This isn't a lecture for you to get notes and more information. It's not a motivational speech for you to go out here and will to do better. Hopefully what happens on Sunday is you go, I need to know my God more who cares for me and wants it to go well with me and then I'm gonna pursue the means of grace he offers me. I'm gonna devote myself daily to God's word and I'm gonna pursue others relationally who can admonish me faithfully as I live authentically with them, as they counsel me biblically so we can engage missionally and experience life indeed. That's the core values of community. Well, we're not gonna make the mistake today of not having heard of God's call for community. It's there. So one of the reasons that people don't experience it or go for it is that they're just, they, they willfully disobey scripture or they've never really understood how God wants to use his people as a means of grace. Secondly, because in our arrogance, we think that we can discern our own heart and sort through our own issues without bias or rationalization. Proverbs 16.2 says this, all the ways of a man are right in his own sight, but the Lord weighs the motives. Let me say again, all the ways of a man are right in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the motives. We think we can discern through our own heart and sort out through our own issues without bias. And the scripture warns us against that. The heart is desperately sick, Jeremiah says, and deceitful above all else. Watch this, this is a really interesting little section of scripture. In Deuteronomy chapter 17, when the king was named over Israel, because let me just tell you something, all of us are kings in our own way. All of us are kings in our own way. But your sin never just affects you. That's certainly true when you're a national leader, but you are a leader, okay, of your family, you're a leader of your community, you're a leader of your own life. And so there's application for us here. In Deuteronomy 17, this is what was said that the king should do. The king should have his own copy of God's word. He's to, to make note of it and to read it daily, but watch, it says, I wanna warn a king that he doesn't do this in verse 16 of Deuteronomy 17. Make sure the king doesn't multiply horses for himself. The next line right after that obviously says, or return to Egypt to multiply horses. The reason it says that is because uh, Israel would often go and make alliances with other nations um, that, that would have a powerful army because the tanks and the nuclear warheads of the day were horses who would pull chariots. And so what God's saying is I don't want the king to ultimately put his hope or trust in anything but me. Israel's security, your security has gotta be in me and not in, in your own ability to fight no matter how vile you become. So God's saying, make sure you don't put your trust in other nations' ability to cover for you or your own ability to fight off your enemies. No, when a man's ways are pleasing to the Lord, it says, even his enemies are at peace with him. That's the principle that God said he was gonna uniquely and, and sovereignly ensure for Israel. There's nothing wrong with nations today having armies at all, but with the king of Israel, he said, listen, I'm going to be your strong tower. I'm going to be your protector. Don't you amass a great army and think you don't need me. Secondly, king, make sure you don't take your power and your position to um, 
engage in the lusts of your flesh. Don't multiply wives for yourself. Thirdly, he says, don't multiply and increase silver and gold for yourself, which is what we have a tendency to do. There's nothing wrong with making money, but if you make money, put it to good work. Most people in power use power to maintain power. Great men use power to serve others. And what he's saying is if you become wealthy, don't increase your own wealth. Make sure that you don't Pursue that because it's not gonna be your comfort. What God was gonna say basically to the kings then is you need help. You need to know I'm gonna be your security. Don't put your security in any and your trust in anything else. I'm your life. Don't try and find life in wealth. Don't try and find life in pursuing of pleasure and the lust of your flesh. Trust in me. Now watch what he says. And by the way, can't we all relate to that? Aren't we all a little tempted to pursue uh, power and pleasure and position and possessions? As a source of life, God wants you to be rich. And so watch what he says. He says, it shall come about that when he sits on the throne in, in, in uh, verse 18, that the king shall write for himself a copy of this law on a scroll. The king should have a personal copy of the scripture. Every single one of us has access to that today. A personal copy of not just that scripture, but the continuing story of God's grace in our life. And the king should write it down. But what's it say right after that? And he should write it down in the presence of the priests. Why? Because all of us at times have a tendency to go, I don't think I'm gonna write down that exhortation. I don't think I wanna do that one. Or if we're not so bold as to rip those pages out of our Bible, we are so often uh, prone to say, I just don't think I'll apply that to me right now this way. And what God wants for you, what he's always wanted for kings, is a kingdom of priests. Does that sound familiar? That will help you rightly apply this word to your life. One of the reasons people don't have communities, they don't think they need it. They don't know how desperately sick their heart is and how prone we are to wonder from the words of life. Thirdly, they, want to, they, they don't want to be in community because they uh, want to live with as little accountability or conviction as possible. That's just a fact. Proverbs 18.1 says this. This is why people separate themselves. People separate themselves so they can seek their own desires. That's Proverbs 18.1. And a person who does that quarrels against all sound wisdom. That separation is gonna lead you when you don't live with the Levitical priests around you to rip things out of your life that shouldn't be ripped out of your life. And you're gonna introduce things into your life in your isolation that are gonna lead to death. Scripture says, that it's good to have two men. This is Ecclesiastes chapter four, verse nine. Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. Not only that, if one of them falls, the other one will lift up his companion. You need accountability. You need friends that can spur you on when you fall. Fourthly, people aren't in community because they're ruled by fear. They're unable to trust others. You've been hurt before. Can I just offer this to you? You're gonna be hurt again. This is earth. There is no such a thing as a perfect community. But perfect love casts out fear. And we've gotta trust our God and, and lean in. Part of how God um, grows us is he puts us in relationships where we've gotta, we've gotta put his word to work and be bold and lean into things that aren't as they should be in one another's lives, and we've gotta receive that from other people. As iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. If you're afraid of being sharpened, you're not gonna be in community. But if you don't wanna be sharpened, you're gonna be dull. And there are gonna be things in your life that never change the way God wants to change them. Uh, we've said here for a long time, 
that there's gonna be probably people in your life if you covenant to pursue what's best with them that are gonna hurt you, maybe betray you, maybe speak irresponsibly, maybe use information that you shared in vulnerability uh, in a casual way that wasn't um, informed by wisdom. You should just count on it. But you should do it anyway. Now, don't walk with fools. Don't stay with scoffers. But you need to know there's no such thing as perfect people, and it's worth it because God calls us to it. Fifthly, people don't go into community because they say it takes too much time and effort to pull everyone together, and it does. It takes a lot of work. You gotta prioritize your life differently when you say I'm gonna share life with other people. And basically, I'll just tell you this. This is what it says in Proverbs chapter 14, verse four. Hey, where no oxen are, the manger is clean. But that's not the purpose, okay, of a manger. There's much increase that comes from the strength of an ox. It's gonna get messy, it's gonna get hard, you've gotta make decisions. And there'll be all kinds of excuses you can make about why you don't want community, but community is God's provision for you and it's worth the mess. It does take effort to keep it clean, but it's worth it. Sixthly, because we think we're the companion of all human wisdom. I don't need community because I think I know enough, really. Proverbs chapter 26 talks about fools and uh, how dangerous it is to share a life with a fool. And then it ends all these warnings about being a fool, that there's somebody worse than a fool, and it's somebody who is wise in their own eyes, the scripture says. Because the fool will eventually come to the end of himself, but a, a, a person who thinks that they know everything on their own will always explain away it's somebody else's fault, God's fault, my community's fault, uh, fate's fault, and they'll never look to themselves. None of us are the compendium of all wisdom. This is what God says in uh, 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 5 through 8. He says, you younger men, be subject to your elders, and all of you clothe yourself in humility with, another, with one another. For God's opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God that he might exalt you in proper time, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. And the verse that follows right after that is, listen, don't fight alone. Verse eight says, be of sober spirit, be on the alert for your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. You don't wanna go at this alone. You're not the companion of all wisdom. Humble yourself, acknowledge that God created you for community and the community is there to help you and you do it right. And then I'm gonna give you the seventh reason. And most people don't experience biblical community. And that's because they confuse getting together periodically with what it really means to do biblical community and share life with one another. I wanna invite my friends up here and I'm gonna tell you about uh, what we try and do. These are some guys that I've been doing community with and their wives who won't be up here with us for the sake of, of time, but we're gonna talk about our wives' impact on our life. But let me just tell you, these are the men that are the means of grace that God has given me. The number one determinant in your life about how you're gonna walk with Christ is who you run with. Let me say it to you that way. Who you run with is the number one determinant in how you will walk with Christ. Proverbs 13, 20. He who walks with wise men will be wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. 1 Corinthians 15, 33. Do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. But you just can't be with wise men once every two weeks. We are herd animals. God calls us, hey, you're created for community. If you live alone, all right, for 13 days and 23 hours every two weeks and get together for one hour or two hours with the community once every two weeks, you're not a herd animal. 
You're hurting yourself because you're under the illusion that you're really in biblical community when all you do is get together and catch up and cover surface things for about an hour and a half once every two weeks. Life together takes devotion. But why don't you share with them some of the ways that we pursue life together? Sure, I'd be uh, happy to. So I'll, I'll start by just uh, speaking to our members here about what we've all committed to, and that's in our membership covenant, a simple one-page list of things that we all know to be true. And one of those is we commit to belong to his body by being part of a community group that seeks to know me and help me as I try to love God, love believers, and love non-believers. And so that's what we're talking about here, something we've already committed to. And an important thing, as Todd noted, is rhythms. You need to have a rhythm um, that is healthy to know and be known. And so for our group, I'll just share uh, what it looks like. Uh, on the guy's side, getting together, uh, we get together if there's nothing else scheduled two times a week. Um, and we're really doing sort of two things. One is we're engaging missionally with the privilege of, of leading and serving this body, and then we're trying to pursue one another relationally. Um, and, you know, for I think a lot of really healthy groups, that's one meeting, and for us it's two because of some of the additional responsibilities. And in there, uh, we're trying to make sure we know one another, we're praying for one another, um, we're confessing, right? And so even like this past Friday, somebody just wanted to confess that um, they were exposing themselves in a way um, where they were um, increasing the likelihood of temptation and just wanted to confess that. Um, and for us just to pray for him and pray for one another and a great opportunity for us to all go around and ask how we're doing in that area. Um, but outside of those meetings, which our wives meet every week as well, um, and then we get together with our wives every other week at a minimum, um, to spend time together. Yeah, so as a group, we're together uh, once every two weeks, and then uh, individually we're with our couples, you know, you and Natalie and Alex and I will get together, or we'll do something with the Thompsons, or McFarland's and us will have dinner, or likewise in different smaller groups. So we get together as a group every two weeks, but we're together for large chunks several times a week. And yeah. not everybody can do that, right? There's certain life stages that that's hard. Absolutely. But there's other things to do if you can't get physically together. Talk about that. Absolutely. And, and there are two parts. One is just looking for those impromptu opportunities. And so just communicating through text and email um, as much as you can mm -hmm. so you're up to speed with one another and know when you need help. And so we're doing that as much as we can. And then when there's impromptu opportunities to do things, layering those in, um, such as, you know, this we're going to try to get together for lunch a couple of times just because our, our rhythm has been a little bit challenged with, with the summer with, you know, one off, one person missing here and there. Um, but I, what I want to make sure I'm not doing is discouraging people uh, where um, the rhythm may not be at the same pace that we have. Uh, and the, the analogy I'll use um, is our, our pulse or our heart rate. Right? And some people might have an 80 pulse and some people might have a, a 50 pulse. And both of those are healthy. And so, you know, I speak to our, our young families with young kids uh, where you try to get all of the husbands and wives together. Um, and invariably every week, uh, one kid across the, the 20 kids in the group is sick. Um, and, and one of the parents need to miss. And, and there I would just encourage you, that's a season. Uh, some of those seasons are longer for our single moms where it's very difficult to get together and have someone uh, care for kids to free you up. Uh, that could be hard. Um, but the challenge I want, really want to share is with those where the pulse isn't 50 or 80, uh, the pulse is one or two uh, because you're not spending time together or you have one person in your group um, that always finds something that's more appealing than getting together with the group. Um, it's the person that hasn't been 
uh, with your group in a month or two months, and that's a regular pattern. Um, and there, I just want to encourage you to sit down with that person, have the membership covenant that we've all committed to, hmm. and ask them whether or not they're still committed uh, to what they asked you to hold them accountable to and committed to serve you with. And if you need to, widen the circle. We have leaders on our staff and our lay leaders that work with every community group to help deal with these kinds of challenges. And it might be that the most loving thing we could do is redefine the relationship with someone in your community group from a member of our church to somebody that we need to share our hope in Christ with, not as a member of your group or a member of our body. So, um, Bo, we, we talk about membership. We talk about being a member of a body, which is what God wants us to be. Um, because we're members of the same body, it means we have the same head. If we have the same head, we're to be of the same mind, which is why the membership covenant is there. One of the best things you can do is, you know, you gotta make sure that you're in community with people that go, I want to serve what, what God says is gonna lead to life. And so bring your membership covenant, which everybody in every community has signed, and say, guys, look at the things that we're supposed to do. How are we doing on those things? The first one is we're having an individual abiding relationship with God that we're sharing with each other, right? I mean, it, you wanna make sure that the people that are close to you are close to God. Because that's gonna be the way that they love you. And if they're close to God, they're gonna be committed to the things that we covenant to one another that we wanna aspire to. And if you've got somebody who just says, I don't have time to get together and, and sharpen and encourage and admonish and help and share with one another, then it's appropriate to raise your hand and just say, look, I'm not saying you're going to hell, but it's clear you're not pursuing heaven with me. And so widen that circle. There is, in this very large community that we call Watermark, there is probably two degrees of separation from any one guy in this chair and anybody that's sitting out there. Every community group has over them a mature and godly leader in this body who is connected, either they are staff or connected with a staff person that's connected with us, and there is no resource that we will not get to you, physically, spiritually, or otherwise, if it's disconnected from you, but a part of this body. It's one or two phone calls away, but widen that circle to that initial group. Now look, one of the things that happens is I know sometimes people look up and go, hey, you know, Bo and Kyle and Dean, Todd, it's great that you're in community with them, right? But that, that'd be easy. Who wouldn't want to share life with them? Everybody always thinks everybody else's marriage is better than theirs or easier, right? It'd be so much easier if I was married to somebody like that. I'm gonna have to work at my marriage. And I think sometimes people think that's true of our community group. Well, we're here to burst that little bubble. <laughs> and tell you, it's not always easy. So Dean, why don't you just talk about that aspect of uh, Yeah, I would love to. Wow, that was loud. Uh, before I start, let me just give you a, a, a couple of principles that, that I'm gonna think about and, and then maybe one quick story. I think the the thing I want you to know is highlighted in a, in a recent thing that's occurred. We've been on vacation for actually 10 days with my family, who are some of my favorite people and just really great time away. Um, but really my heart ached to get home, to be with these men and their wives and the, the, what has been created over 20 plus years. I'm going to try and cram 20 years into a minute and a half or two minutes. And, and there, the theme is that when you practice everything that Todd has just articulated over the last 20 minutes or so, and these become part of your rhythm, part of your theme, um, confessing, repenting, pursuing, uh, building relationships. They, the principles inside our community um, core values are pursuing relationally and admonishing faithfully. And those are the things I'm going to talk about for a second. And if you do those things, I can promise you one thing. You're going to create conflict. 
And we're actually pretty good at that. <laughs> Specifically the two guys on the end. <laughs> and so the, the refining fire happens most often, I think, with, with the two of us in terms of bumping heads on certain things. And, and I will just highlight a, a key story that, that it, this is probably 12 or 15 years uh, old now. It could be longer. But honestly, my issue was I, I was just exasperated with him. I was tired. I was frustrated. Um, I wasn't thinking the best of him. And I needed to tell him. It, it had just been building up like it does for all of us. I, it, it had kind of just spilled out. And it spilled out over a, you know, an hour-long conversation at Starbucks one afternoon uh, quite some time ago. And I just explained to him, I go, man, it is really hard to be your friend right now. Um, the things you're doing, or in this case not doing, are not creating the kind of oneness we say we both want. And so right as I'm kind of laying all this out for him, right in the middle, he interrupted a sentence. And he said, are you breaking up with me? <laughs> and I said, well, that, that has occurred to me, but no, no, I'm not doing that. I'm, I'm really trying to do what we're instructed to do with all grace and truth. And how often, whenever's necessary. And that's what I was attempting to do. He, he might argue that it was a little more truth than grace, um, but my attempt was to restore the relationship that I knew we both wanted. And so what was your perspective on that, on that day? Well, I, I felt loved. I go, here's a guy that wants to be my friend, and he's going to tell me some things. Like you said, what, what I was doing, it was some things I wasn't doing. And, and you cared about me enough to go, Todd, I, I believe you want to be uh, a friend that sticks closer than a brother. I believe you want to be God's provision in my life. Here's some ways that, that you're hurting me. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I, I took that conversation. I shared it with my wife. We talked about it with Tawny and with the, with the rest of the guys. And, and it just it was a good sharpening for me. I needed it. And I, so how did I feel? I felt loved. That this guy wasn't going to just move on and have excuses as why we couldn't do this anymore. But he said, I want to do this with you and to do it right, here's an area you can grow in. And so um, I, I felt cared for. You're going to see a theme here. Kyle, why don't you share yeah. a little bit about uh, things we've learned in life together. Yeah, one, one of the things that, um, that makes relationship difficult uh, that you all know is, is the fact that God wired us and uh, made us all different. And you see that all through Scripture, but one of the places that he highlights the benefit of that is in 1 Corinthians 12, starting at verse, uh, verse 14, and he just, again, uh, it's the picture of the body of Christ, just like our body, how we're all radically different. And we know there, there's a richness to that, uh, and, and in the midst of that, God uh, exposes and grows and refines us, but because we're so different, it, it, it can make relationship really hard. And uh, not, not to pile on uh, to what Dean said, but uh, Todd and I are just very, very different. And uh, a number of years ago, I sat in with him and, and just shared, hey, you know, one of the hard things I'm just going to acknowledge is you and I just see the world radically different. Todd is an extrovert, uh, and I'm an introvert. Uh, Todd leads from the front, and I'm, I'm most comfortable in the back. Uh, if someone has a new idea, Todd's first reaction is, why not do that? A and my first reaction is, why would we do that? <laughs> Todd, Todd is a, he, he's a verbal processor. And, and I'm an internal processor, and I have to want to think through exactly what I 
what I feel and want to communicate before I talk, and that's usually 10 or 15 minutes after uh, the topic we were talking about. Uh, Todd, Todd speaks up very quickly, and appropriately so, and, and I'm really slow to speak. And uh, Todd's a late-night person, and uh, I'm an early-morning person. And uh, sometimes I think I go to bed about the, I mean, he goes to bed about the time I'm getting up. But um, <laughs> um, uh, as a result, um, I have to always assume the best about Todd. And I know that he loves me, and I know that he's God's provision for me. And, and it's so easy for me to resort, uh, really revert to sin patterns that define my life for a lot of years of just uh, isolation and, and withdrawal and um, just negative interpretation. And so what, I, what I've learned is, again, I have to always assume the best. And when I hear Todd say something or, or do something that uh, just kind of uh, makes me bow up, just, again, be reminded, hey, uh, he and I are different, and, and I've learned to ask questions and listen. And, and I'm, I'm so thankful. I look back at just how radically God has changed me over the last 20 years and, and continues to do so uh, through these men. And, and just, the, again, some of the sparks that have flown through our interaction. And I, I, I cherish the depth of our, our friendship and, again, just see the richness that's come out of that. You know, again, as iron sharpens iron. If iron, you know, so one man sharpens another. If iron had nerves and vocal cords, when it came up against one another, it would scream. And there'd be chunks of flesh that fell to the ground. That's never pleasant. But it's how you keep from being dull. And these men have been that provision in my life. And by God's grace, allowed me to be that in their life. The number one rule having a successful marriage. You know what it is? It's to stay married. <laughs> and, and I would just tell you, the number one rule of successful community is to stay in community. But you assume the best, but you address the worst. And you do it in the way that Dean talked about, with a spirit of gentleness, first looking to yourself, lest you too be tempted. You're not doing it out of selfishness or exasperation. But watch this. Here's the other thing that community is to do is to help you stay on alert so that your life can be as fruitful and useful to the Lord as possible. So these guys help me steward my life, my speaking, where I spend my time, where I don't. They help me steward my resources. And Bo, why don't you start again and just talk a little bit about how, even though we're all resourced a little differently financially, uh, we are all culpable for the resources that we have, both in terms of our earnings, which is very different for the four of us, as well as just our families of origin. There's guys that, that have... That have uh, a massive amounts of opportunity to steward resources or store it up for themselves. So talk about how we do that with one another. Absolutely. Uh, once again, uh, I think this is important for every follower of Christ, which is why it's part of the membership covenant that we've all committed to with one another. And where we've said we're going to be strong in a life of ministry by giving graciously as God is giving graciously to us. And so it's the concept of stewardship. And, um, you know, I look at some of the warnings in Scripture around stewardship that are sobering. Uh, three that come to mind. One is uh, the debtor is the slave to the lender, uh, and I do not want to be a slave. And then we talk about uh, the love of money being the root of all sorts of evil, uh, and I do not want to succumb to all sorts of evil. <laughs> and then the, the parable of the rich fool who built the barns, 
Um, and that very day his life was taken from him. And I do not want to build barns. And so I need to be transparent with these guys, my wife and I, Natalie, as, as we work through these issues. And I think this is a, an area where a lot of our community groups uh, want their community group to tell them that they're being a good steward of finances, but they don't want to be completely transparent uh, with their community group. They want to manage information. Uh, and the analogy I'll use is, you know, for those that are married, I think we're, we're committed to doing all we can to have uh, good relational intimacy with our spouse. And so if I told these guys, hey, I want to I wanna make sure that my intimacy is with my wife um, and that my mind is not uh, fleeing to other places, I want you to hold me accountable on that. Uh, but there should be a few things that, that are off the table. Um, we're not going to talk about lust. Uh, you can't ask me about pornography. You can't ask me about masturbation, and you can't talk to my wife. Um, but if we have those limits, I'm willing to answer any questions. And I need you to affirm that I'm doing well. Uh, and people are doing that with money. Um, I'll tell you how much I give, but I'm not going to tell you what my balance sheet looks like or how much money I've earned or where I've given or why I've given. Or, or this aspect of my life. Well, I've got a financial advisor who counsels me. He says I'm doing the prudent and wise thing. And so, so what would you say to people who go, yeah, well, I, I, I've got somebody who just counsels me in that area of my life so I can be a good steward. What would you say to that? I think that it's always um, an opportunity to have people jump in with you, with your community. And so I think getting counsel in lots of areas of life is helpful, um, but we want to make sure we're fully devoted followers of Christ. I don't know if your financial advisor is committed to our membership covenant. And I don't know if they're committed for you for the things uh, that are important as a fully devoted follower of Christ. And so for us, we're being completely transparent in this area. Uh, these men know uh, the income Natalie and I uh, make and what our balance sheet looks like and how we're thinking about stewarding that. And I'm not just giving them information. I'm inviting them into stewarding and making those decisions with us. And so we talked last week about, um, you know, some community groups have an opportunity to help other community groups. As Natalie and I uh, seek to steward resources, we have eight sets of eyes that are looking for opportunities that we could steward together. Or as I think about giving to organizations and partnering with organizations, um, I think it's very tempting to jump in with a ministry and give money simply because somebody asks. And we're conflict avoiders and we don't want to say no. Or we gave last year and so we'll give this year um, and we don't rethink those things. And so uh, these men and their wives are helping us just look at ministries and saying, uh, are they committed to the gospel? Do they have a healthy theology? Are they raising up the local church? And how can you invest your time and your prayers and not just your money in those ministries? And then when it comes to saving, uh, really talking about why are, why are we saving? What are we saving for? Um, what's the heart behind that? Are we seeking security? How are we investing money? Are we advancing causes the way we're investing our money um, that's consistent with the gospel? And so I feel like um, at the end of life when I look back, um, if there is something to celebrate, I'm going to celebrate that with my friends. Uh, and if there's something to grieve, um, I would expect my friends would be grieving with me um, because they're co-laborers with us in all we do in life, including our finances. So when you stand before the Lord and give an account, right, um, I don't think it's just going to be you who give an account for what God's given you because there is a, a Levitical priesthood around you that is saying, hey, Bo and Natalie, we think the way you've stewarded your resources, both your corpus, the, the, the amount that, that you have earned in the past or 
uh, from a business you've sold or uh, um, from a family you've inherited, Kyle or Dean, um, you, we, we believe you're living wisely. And I think the Lord's gonna hold me as accountable for that as he is you because you're inviting us in. And one of the things you need to know, we're resourced very differently up here. And now listen to this statement all the way through. I don't think you should be in community with people that you're resourced differently than. Meaning, every single person that you're in community with ought to be resourced with a love for God's word and a commitment to yield to his spirit. And in fact, one of the things that happens is in the midst of us being resourced differently, we see how God is gonna use our provision for one another in ways that will allow us each to be faithful and allow each of us to be able to live in a way that's appropriate. And we care for one another that way, and that is true all the way through the body, as we said last week. But you need to make sure you're in community with people who love God's word and love God's purposes and who want you to stand before him and hear the words, well done, good and faithful steward of your life who lived as a servant of the king. Kyle, talk about how this community, how we help you with that. I mean, again, all yeah. of us share the same information Bo just described yeah. he did, but let's talk about that. Yeah, when we, when we started in community uh, with these uh, couples, we, we'd never done this before. And Lucina and I felt like we were very generous. We were, we were trying to be generous. And at the same time, I was uh, probably even more so very intentional to build sufficient resources for our future. And, you know, as these couples lovingly uh, ask us questions and uh, better understood uh, what our priorities and, and game plan was, uh, God, God just really started specifically to con convict me that I, I was more concerned about uh, placing my hope in the uncertainty of riches and just protecting us from things that might happen in the future. And uh, God started just peeling layers back for me and started to realize that, hey, a lot of these resources that we've set aside uh, for the future, uh, those are resources that are provisions uh, for needs that God's bringing across our path now. And, and so, you know, Lucina and I started down the track of just trying to be faithful with the needs that God brought across our path today. And, uh, you know, as we did that, we realized uh, we got to start to experience the joy, uh, but also got to experience just trusting him differently. And, and, and it was so exhilarating for us, we started to look around and just say, hey, what other resources has God given us that we're not stewarding well? And as our, uh, you know, as our kids graduated and started to move out of the home, we realized, hey, we, we got empty bedrooms that are just gathering dust that we clean, you know, once or uh, once a week. And that, that is God's provision for people that he's put in our life that need a place to live. And so we started uh, having people live with us. And, uh, you know, there are times where I would come home and I'm like, what are these people doing in my house? And, uh, you know, just the selfishness that wells up in me. But uh, th there's been a joy and a richness that we've had. And I I'm so thankful for the way these guys have just loved us and, and asked us questions. And I hope you hear in that that, you know, all of us have an abundance of something, right? For some people, it might be an abundance of, of money to steward. Some people might be in abundance of an empty bedroom in your home. 
Or um, time. Or time. You could have time as we, we talked about, you know, uh, there are groups that, like single moms that would love to get together. Um, Widows who need uh, their kids shepherded by a male. And if you have time, that's a place to steward it. If you have a healthy community group and you're hearing this and you're saying, hey, this is, these are the things that we're committed to doing in our community group, um, then that's something you could steward. And we are always looking for more people to help us shepherd other community groups. And send us a note, tear it off in the Warbark News and just say, hey, um, we have a community group that could help other community groups in modeling this. And we'd love to give you the opportunity to lead with us in that area. So just to be clear, you know, when Kyle says he's sharing his home, what we mean is by nine to 12 months at a time, he's inviting people in to disciple, four and five at a time, that he and his wife pour into them. It's not just folks who are in for a weekend or uh, have a housing need. It's people that he's saying, hey, we're going to invest in you this way, which is how we encourage him to use his time. And that seminary, which he has at his address, to pour into them and share his life with them. So look, um, last thing I want to say, and then Dean, would you close us? After last week's message, one of the things that happens when folks aren't in community is you get yourself in a crisis that folks, frankly, because they don't know you if you've been living wisely, don't know how to respond to. There were two people that came up after last week's message. One that came up and just said, I just lost my job. And would you pray for me, which I was glad to do. He he said, I'm a member here. I'm in community. I meet with my guys tonight. He he met with them. He told them what was going on. They prayed for him. The next morning, he got up. He called the bank. I can't make my car payment this month because I've just lost my job. Can I defer it? They said, no, you can't defer it. We'll come get your car. And then the community group heard what was happening said, look, we know you're living a responsible life. We know you're devoting to the Lord. We know you're being faithful. We're going to take care of your car payment for a month because we're not going to be enabling an irresponsible life. After that, another person comes up to me. And that was, by the way, the right thing to do. But then another person comes up who said, I've been around Watermark for four years. Never got connected, never been known, financially at a crisis, can't feed their children, would you help me? We have no idea what you've been doing the last four years. We don't know if we're gonna be sustaining an irresponsible lifestyle or not. You say you love Jesus and you've been here and have never pursued his people, I don't think you understand what it means to love Jesus and to walk in his kindness. Now we made provision for those children to eat, but we called them to repentance and said, come assimilate, come be with us. When we say there'll never be a homeless person, a hungry person uh, at Watermark, or a person who lacks the basic needs, okay? What we mean is that's people who are committed to be here with us, who walk with the Lord and are living lives of wisdom. We're not just gonna throw money at people who say, I've got a need, if you're God's people, you'll help me. Helping people means walking with them day by day, not just letting them run their offense and tell you what they need. So let us run with you. All right, the number one determinant in your walk with Christ is gonna be who you run with. And God calls you to run with his people. Dean, would you pray for us? And then we need to to. go run and get our kids. Father, thank you so much for uh, the opportunity just to share the hope that we have in you, first and foremost. Thank you, Lord, that you work in and through uh, authentic, transparent relationships. And the whole goal is that we would be be transformed people, that we, we would develop spiritually all the... The, the character qualities that you desire, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control. Lord, we want you to have your way in us. And Lord, I just pray folks have heard one thing, and that is that we, we want to, to give them a picture of what it means to have deep relational trust with one another, have relationships in their life that will help them flourish, spur them on to love and good, good deeds. So one goal that we might be increasingly conformed to your image. 
We love you, Christ. Thank you for the reminder that community is a specific gift from you to us. I pray we, we make use of it. We love you, Lord. We pray this in your name. Amen.